Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. And welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I am joined by Bree, who is coming to us from our nation's capital in Canberra. Welcome, Bree. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. I'm so happy to have you on. We were literally just laughing about the fact that nobody knows that Canberra is the capital of Australia. Um, but you are from Canberra and you are many things. Do you mind telling the listeners about yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. So as most Canberrans, I'm a public servant. Um, that's why we're all here, isn't it? <laughs> um, don't do anything exciting on that front. In terms of like uh, volunteer work, I uh, volunteer with the State Emergency Services, which I find really, um, aside from that, I really, I'm really into Muay Thai. I like to kick people consensually. That's about it. Yeah. And you've got a beautiful doggo behind you as well, which I'm looking at, and he's absolutely gorgeous. Hugo? Yes, he's my best friend. I love him more than anything. And that's awesome that you do Muay Thai. Um, I've been looking into starting Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so maybe we can cross <laughs> paths. We can fight. <laughs> we can consensually fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's really good for like um, self-defense out of everything for women. I think that would be the best one. Absolutely. How long have you been doing Muay Thai for? Um, probably on and off for eight years, maybe. Yeah. Wow. And so you, you do that as like a sport kind of thing. Like do you compete and things like that as well? Yeah, I've only done like sparring competitions and things, but um, I should hopefully get some fights in this year. That is so cool. What about us? We connected on Instagram and we were talking a little bit. We had a chat the other day and excited is always the wrong word, but I am excited in some in one way to have this discussion with you about your experience. So do you mind kind of sharing a little bit about where you were in your life when, when the um, incident that caused you this trauma happened to you? Yeah, sure. Um, I was in the UK. I just moved over, working holiday, all that sort of thing. Um, Love to travel. So that's sort of the next step there. Um, I'd only been in the UK for about less than a week, maybe four or five days when it happened. So still fresh there, not sort of knowing anyone or where I was. Yeah. And so what were the circumstances when you 
like got there. So had you moved into like a flat with different friends or were you kind of on your own? What was your experience like, like kind of touching down on the other side of the world? It was actually pretty organized. We um, went through, I forget what it was called, but there was some sort of organization that like paired you up with like a pub in England. So I went over with a friend and we went to the same bar in Plymouth of all places. No point in going there. It's a bit of a shithole. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. So we had that all organized and everything. Stayed in an Airbnb the first night and then uh, met everyone and moved into the share house the next night. The share house was this like converted old hotel. So it was quite big. And there are just like a few different people there that were your age kind of thing, doing the same working, traveling kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. There was a lot of Australians there. Because uh, we worked at a walkabout. I don't know if you know what that is. No. Um, it's basically like an Australian-themed pub slash club in the UK. <laughs> and actually in Europe. They have them in, in the Netherlands as well. But yeah, there are like, lots of Aussies there, are lots of English people. Yeah. That's, so it's like an, a specifically, a walkabout is specifically Australian-themed. Yeah. They sell kangaroo burgers and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even had a kangaroo burger and I live in Australia. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so funny um so it sounds like you've kind of embarked on this incredible trip where were you at like with your mindset were you like super excited and nervous or just what were you feeling like yeah super excited I had after I turned 18 I just like left so I like left and came back I was a boomerang I did like summer camps in America a couple years in a row and so this was the next one after that I think I was 20 21 that was just my my next adventure Um, So I was pretty excited. Yeah, absolutely. So on this specific night, so you've been here for a few nights, you're just starting to kind of make friendships, I guess, and connections, and it's all a little bit foreign to you still. What what ended up happening on that night? So that night, um, we hadn't actually even started working yet. That night we went to the staff meeting, which happened every like once a week after the bar closed. So it's quite late at night. And it's their like ritual for anybody who's new to, I guess, get like hazed, I suppose. So we had to like stand on the table in front of everybody and um, they asked us lots of awkward questions like who out of everybody would you want to sleep with? Like what's the stupidest thing you've ever done? That sort of thing. And then you had to do like a ton of shots. So it started out quite fun and quite interesting. But after that, we all went out and um, it wasn't just the people I was working with. There were people covering uh, shifts because they were short staff from another area. I'm not sure where they were from. Um, So they all came out with us as well. So I didn't know them. I'd met a couple of the other staff before just from living with them but yeah a few other randoms as well so it kind of sounds as well like you're it's kind of like good you know when somebody really facilitates an environment like that so you can just let your hair down and be a bit of an idiot you know that's kind of a nice environment but it also sounds like everyone's getting really drunk really quickly as well so it's a bit unsafe in many circumstances as well yeah so at the time I thought it was like pretty fun like let's do it and go out um later on I had another friend come and join and they did the same thing to him and uh I sort of intervened with that because I tried to shave his eyebrows and they tried to leave him somewhere by himself. So I pushed him up in a wheelchair. One of the girls had happened to break her ankle uh, a couple couple of weeks beforehand. So she had a wheelchair. So I was like, I'm going to take this and push him up just because I have no idea what they were going to do with him. Um, But I sort of took him out of that situation because it got like, I think when you were new, they were like, let's do whatever we can to you kind of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of that like pack mentality, right? Like, especially once everyone's a little bit drunk, that escalates into being you know, from being all fun and games and hazing to being actually not okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as the night progressed, what was the, what did the, I guess, party or group, what did that look like? Um, So the people who were working and covering the bar, they joined us and we all went out um, to other various bars that hadn't closed yet. 
Um, to be honest, I can't remember a lot from there. I sort of was like blackout drunk. Um, the next thing I remember was I was waking up, um, didn't know where I was. Someone was on top of me um, having sex with me. And then uh, I sort of passed back out again. After talking to my therapist, she was talking about, like, I know there's a flight and freeze type thing. She explained to me, girls, part of freeze is like flop and drop where you sort of, everything just goes floppy and you just pass out and faint. Um, so to me, that makes a lot of sense um, that that's sort of what happened. Um, and then I woke up again. He was standing up over me and um, he was penetrating me anally. And I think I woke up from just the pain and everything. But from that position, I was able to like kick him off. Um, and I ran out of the room and then I realized where I was. I was actually in the accommodation and we were all staying. Um, so I like ran down the hallway and back into my room and locked the door. Yeah, I guess backtracking, it ended up being one of the guys from the bar, but not one of the people that I worked with. So just one of the randoms who had been there. So I didn't know who he was. So it wasn't his house. He'd obviously just come back with the group at some stage or just hung around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I have no idea like what, how we, I ended up there. Um, I did find out later because another friend of mine, the one who I stopped having his eyebrow shaved off, um, he was talking to some of the guys afterwards and they were saying how this one particular guy had been boasting that he'd had sex with me while I was asleep. Um, so I guess, I don't know if I was asleep in the bed and he came in or what happened. Um, but that's like all sort of, I can recall from that. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you went through that. And it just goes to show the callousness of his actions that he has the audacity to even go out and brag about that. And, you know, I think like we were discussing, it's, it's so disappointing that nobody called that out as well. When we say you need to call behavior out, men need to call behavior out. This is the kind of stuff that we're talking about as well. It's not just, you know, when somebody says something like, oh, get in the kitchen and they think it's a joke. It's not just that. It's like often serious things like this are being said and people aren't saying enough about it. Yeah, absolutely. That friend did talk to me later and apologized. He was like, I was so stupid. I was so young. Like I wish that I'd been there when it, had happened, but he's like, I should have said something um, at the time because I'm guessing he kind of just laughed along with them. Yeah. And you can almost understand that because I mean, I can re- remember my brain at like in my early 20s to now, and I'm but a shell of that person. <laughs> like I could yeah. don't even recognize them anymore. So education and thing goes a long way. And that's why this advocacy stuff is so important. Once you woke up, like you went to your room and you've kind of escaped and gotten to safety, what was life like I guess after that did you go to bed or were you awake what happened um I was like just crying in bed I, we had at least we had like locks on our door so I was able to lock the door um I think I eventually like went to sleep but then after that I basically just tried to forget it had happened because I didn't know what to do I didn't know where I was I didn't know who to talk to or where to go um, in hindsight, like I really do regret not reporting it because there would have been all sorts of evidence and obviously people that had seen and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't sort of do anything. I kind of blocked it out. I tried to forget about it. Uh, yeah. And did you continue your trip after that as well? Yeah, I stayed there and I worked and I lived there for maybe about six months. Yeah. And then did you come back to Australia after that? Yeah. And then I came back to Australia. Yeah. And did you ever have the misfortune of seeing this man again or speaking to him again? Like, did he ever, like, so he's gone out obviously after this night and bragged to 
your friends about it or to the men about it, did you ever have to see him again? No. So luckily I never saw him face to face, but about um, six months ago, I think it was, someone posted a photo like that. I guess we had mutual friends um, and he was in it. Um, And that sort of started, like I started having nightmares and things like that. And that's when I ended up going to therapy because I couldn't sleep. It was affecting me. Um, I went down that good old spiral and that little rabbit hole of trying to figure out who he was and things like that. Yeah. Just got very angry and brought up a lot. Um, but at least I didn't have to run into him face to face. Absolutely. And what was it like for you in the years after your assault? Like, how was it for you coping? I mean, you've come back and you're, you're doing all of these wonderful things, but we all know that just because you're not maybe potentially outwardly showing these behaviors, that doesn't mean the inside you're not hurting. Yeah, I think, um, mainly for me, it just continued like, I sort of started reckless behaviors like just sleeping with people just for no reason, that sort of thing. I got into a pretty abusive relationship maybe only a year or two later. I think it's all related. Like, I guess if you break it down and think about it from an outside perspective. Yeah. I think when you're, when you value yourself less, and I think that's what comes from it. And that's speaking from my experience. And I think a lot of other survivors as well, you, you do, there is so much shame associated with it. I think in many aspects that you just value yourself less and there's less there that's caring about what you want and what you think, because all of a sudden to yourself, you don't matter as much, but other people's wants and needs can become more important and other people's desires become more important. And those reckless things you're trying to do, at least for me, were almost in a way for me to try and regain some control or to feel something I think I felt like I was always running at this like level that everything hurt and everything was painful. So I think if you do some of those really outlier things for once, I would feel something. Yeah, absolutely agree. And also it's like your choice, like, um, like, you know, whether you felt pain or happiness or whatever it be, but you're the one who is choosing to do that. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, just trying to regain any, any aspect of control back that you can. Following on from that, I know that we spoke about potentially you've, you know, this is quite a few years later where, where you've considered um, going back for a prosecution or looking into whether something like that would be possible. Do you mind talking a little bit about what that process was like for you? Yeah. So I guess after I sort of found out who he was, because I had no idea who he was um, for many years, found out who he was, got very annoyed. Um, and I was like, I want to do something. I want to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else if it hasn't in this sort of uh, time frame. Um, I worked at the AFP prior to my current job. Um, so I sort of knew how everything worked there. Um, so I thought it would be a good idea to reach out. Um, so I messaged one of my old sergeants and I asked him like, what, what would you do? Cause it obviously occurred in the UK. Um, the guy was actually Australian. So I was like, I'm not sure where to go. Like. UK has jurisdiction, but victim and perpetrator are both Australian, not too sure. He suggested I um, contact the AFP just through the online portal that they have. It would get referred to SACAT and then they would assist with liaising with the police in the UK. Um, So that's what I did, filled in the form. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't get referred. One of my other old sergeants uh, basically just wrote back, didn't even acknowledge that we knew each other, which was good and bad, I suppose. And just said, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. UK have jurisdiction. Um, 
then I felt a little bit like, I guess, ashamed of things because they knew who I was. Um, they obviously weren't going to make the effort. So I sort of left it there. And I think just to clarify before we go on, um, AFP is the Australian Federal Police, which is yep, so <laughs> basically the Australian FBI. <laughs> and then yeah. the SACAT team, do you have the acronym for that? Let me just find it out specifically. It's something about sexual crimes and ch- children. Uh, it's ACT Police and Sexual Assault and Child Abuse Team. So it's a specialised team of people who are specifically supposed to work on this. Yeah, yeah. so they get referrals um, sent in to them and then they contact uh, victims and help with them. I think one of the interesting things was, you know, I spoke to a Victoria police officer who told me, you know, if something happens overseas, you can't really do anything about it. But I had not even considered that you could actually go through the AFP and technically they could assist you with that if you wanted to push it further. Is that right? Or... You know, like you have a right to have them liaise with the UK police because a crime did occur. Yeah, absolutely. So if this has ever happened to anyone else overseas, I would recommend at least trying. Like hopefully you can get a better uh, person responding or perhaps push a bit harder. But my original sergeant who he looked into it, so he gave me his initial opinion and then he looked into it and spoke to um, colleagues and things like that and yeah, that's sort of what they're there for. They're there to help li- like liaise with, with the other um, agencies, even if they're international. And what did that feel like? I mean, you know, you, I know that you've stopped your process there for now. What does it feel like now? Like, do you feel like you've, you've got some clarity at least because now you know who this person is or is there something still missing there for you? I stopped like the obsessive like searching because I found out who he was. But I have, I think, a little bit more like guilt in terms of not having done anything. Like if I was to ever find out that he's done it to anybody else, like I just would feel like absolute shit. <laughs> um, so I think that's my main thing of not not reporting. And-, and it's a good point that you raised. And unfortunately, I think it's something that people use to guilt other survivors into reporting when they don't want to as well, where they say, you know, you could prevent this from happening to somebody or things like that. But I think as well, we always need to go back and just remember that you've never done anything wrong. And this person is the one that is doing the actions. And this person is the one that's perpetrating those crimes. That's, I think, where I really need, I really want people to draw that line with themselves because it wasn't your fault. And, you know, even if you did go through and he spent six months in prison, for example, who's to say he wouldn't have gone out, gotten out and done it again kind of thing. So it's one of those yeah. really sad situations and I really feel where you're coming from, but I think it's so important that we emphasise to people who feel like this as well that it's it's them, it's their fault. They're the fuckwits that are doing the actions. They're the people that are choosing, actively making a choice to hurt somebody that they know and they know that it's illegal. They know that it's wrong. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely agree. I think sometimes we just, our minds just try to fuck with us a little bit. To go back to the house, did other people know other than your friend that that had happened like in the house? I don't know. I imagine so if the guys were talking about it later. Um, no one said anything to me. No one, no one did anything. The first I had heard of it was actually... My friend told me once we were back in Australia, he said that. So when you say Um, like you kept it to yourself, you didn't, you really didn't say anything and nobody brought it up with you and it was kind of just buried at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Like I didn't tell anyone until like two or three years later, about two years later. Yeah. I'm really sorry that you had to go through that, but I'm, I'm so grateful that you've at least got some 
control back by knowing this person's identity and having at least a small resemblance of comfort with that knowledge. Yeah, I feel like that was useful because the nightmares stopped happening at least like every night. Um, So I think that did make, make a bit of a difference. And what's it been like for you after that? I mean, you've said that you've had a little, like some struggles and stuff with sleeping and things like that. Other than that, when you went back to therapy, sorry, not back to therapy, when you decided to go to therapy, what was that like for you? And and what were the, did you have any other symptoms that you're experiencing? Mostly just um, the nightmares is why I went back because I was like a zombie. I, I think I was drinking a little too much, but I think that was related to other um, other things that have happened. Yeah, things like that. I think I was just like, I'm in the cleanup phase of my life. I like to think about it. So all this shit's happened and I'm like trying to fix it all now move forward, live a better life. I like that. There's like a cleanup crew there. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, let's wipe the shit food out. Let's take the alcohol out. <laughs> let's get to sleep on time and hopefully not have nightmares. It sounds very idealistic. I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm going for at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look amazing and obviously you're doing such wonderful things. You also said that this culminated, I think, in you ending up in a relationship with somebody that was less than ideal. Do you mind telling us a little bit about kind of what you were feeling and and what that was like? Yeah. So that I did the same thing again a year later. I went to America to work as an au pair. Um, I think, again, I was just running, just doing whatever I felt like. Um, I met a guy there and, and, you know, he seemed lovely and everything at first. So sort of jumped full force into this. I was like, yep, I choose this. I choose him. This is great. Let's go. <laughs> Did you, so you were living there as an au pair. Was he also traveling there or was he as a, a citizen that was just like living and working in the area? He was a citizen. So he was living and working there um, in California. We just met on the beach. We like hung out a bit, started dating. I moved back to Australia, but we sort of continued long distance. And then I thought I'd go to Canada. So I got a working holiday visa in Canada and I was like, oh, then I'm closer to him. And uh, we can make this work. But he was like, just come to America and live with me. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Let's do that. He proposed quite quickly. We got married very quickly. Like a couple months of me being in California, we got married. And that was the start of that. And what was that relationship like? Like as it moved really quickly, like what was, if you could describe like a typical kind of day in that relationship, was it just like your living together and everything's fine or is it, were you experiencing like doing heaps of things and like adrenaline stuff together? What was it? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. No. So as soon as I moved there, like everything changed quite quickly. He, I transferred all my money into his bank account so that we could, you know, put the deposit on an apartment, all that sort of thing. Then I didn't have access to money, didn't have access to a car couldn't work because I was waiting for a working visa. He basically went to work, came home and played video games and then drank a lot. He'd get mad at me for no reason. I'm not sure what was going on. And he'd like pull me off of things or throw me into things. He was the uh, first person that I told about the sexual assault. And a week later, he threatened to rape me and tried to throw me off the balcony. That was, I guess, the start of our marriage. (laughs) Was there also like a good side to it as well? Like, was he lovely and things as well? And then he was doing these things or what was it like? Like, or did you kind of get into this and then get trapped and think, holy shit, what am I going to do now? I think it was more so I got into it and then felt trapped. Like it wasn't like the typical relationship we hear that they do something bad and then they're very apologetic and so sweet. I think he was really lovely to begin with, really nice, like even things like he dressed really well. And then when I moved there, it was just that stopped as well. Mm. Um, and then I, I think it was part like ashamed, like I can't just, you know, I just married this guy. Like I can't just move back to Australia. I should give it a go. He was in the military, so he had some issues. I was like, oh, like if I stick around, he'll get better. But he just kind of got worse while he was in the military. He did get a bit better after he left, um, but it was still never great. He was incredibly jealous. He lied about everything, which I didn't realize for a few years, actually. So I sort of just believed everything he said because I wasn't used to people lying to me. Well, yeah, it's not in most people's nature to even think that way, is yeah. it? You just assume people are being honest with you because they've got no reason to lie. Yeah, yeah, because it would just be random things. Like he'll tell a story that just never happened, but you'd be like, oh, that's really cool. Fun that you did that. And then you'd find out mm, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you've never been to that country. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. That's so bizarre. So as that escalated for you, like how long were you in this? It sounds like an incredibly abusive relationship, like with financial abuse, isolation and physical abuse as well. How long were you there living in a country without your family? Um, I think all up maybe four and a half years. So it was one year in California, we moved and we spent three and a half years in Nebraska. So it was a little better in Nebraska. It was worse in California. He at one point we went to Vegas, he broke my leg. I didn't know at the time I didn't have insurance. Like I heard a crack, I sort of knew it was broken, but it wasn't until I started my job um, that I had insurance, got an x-ray. She was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> so yeah, but that was sort of the worst of it. Um, got a bit better in Nebraska, but then I think I stuck around a little longer. My brother died while I was living in Nebraska. And so um, at that point, I think I just stayed with him so I wouldn't have to lose anyone else. In hindsight, like he wasn't great. <laughs> And I'm so sorry about the loss of your brother as well. 
That must have been so difficult to go through on the other side of the world. Yeah, it was shit. I can only imagine. How did he break your leg? What was the circumstance uh, in which he... We were in Vegas and he... I was having a great time, like just doing Vegasy things. And he, whenever I was having fun, he always seemed to get annoyed. So he's like, we need to go back up to the room. I was like, oh, you can go back. I'll, I'll meet you there like soon. Um, he got annoyed, went up. So I was like, okay, I shouldn't stick around for too much longer. He'll get mad. Went back up. Um, he grabbed like my bag and he like flung me to the ground and then he jumped on me. And I think just the way he landed, I heard like a very loud crack and I just like screamed. I was like, you're going to like, you've broken my leg. Um, he didn't get off for a little bit, but eventually he did because I was just like, please, please, please stop it. Um, I couldn't walk on it, so he had to like push me out in like one of those cart things. Yeah. And then we're in the car, luckily, after that, and then I got crutches. So I was able to use those until we got to um, Nebraska. Cause, oh, sorry. This was between California and Nebraska. We're like doing a little road trip there. Yeah. So this was like the start of it. And then when I got to Nebraska, I got my job, went to physio, got x-rays and things done. So I was like, I had a broken leg for maybe two weeks before I actually had it seen to properly. Um, lucky it was just like a like a clean break that was able to heal okay on its own. Yeah, and you didn't need surgery or anything on it. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. That's just – it's so hard to imagine as well. Like you must have been in absolute agony and trying to like manage this man's like anger and situations amongst you living in a foreign country and having to move across the world with this happening within your family. Like that must have been such a vulnerable and difficult time for you. Yeah, it was – yeah, I guess it was rough during – like while it's happening, I guess all you're thinking of is like just getting through each day. It's not until you stop and think about it and you're like, oh, yeah, like if that had happened to somebody else, somebody that I knew or cared about, I would flip shit. Like yeah. when it's happening to you, you're like, oh, I just have to get through till tomorrow. Like that's take each thing as it comes, I suppose. Yeah, it's almost happening in such slow motion that you can't really see it happening to yourself. But when somebody yeah. else happens, you're seeing them every few days maybe. So you you can see changes between the day-to-day norm. So when you went and ended up in Nebraska, what what was the situation for you when you decided, you know what, I'm done? So I actually didn't leave him until we moved back to Australia. So it did take me a really long time. So I think the first time I thought about like actually leaving was after he broke my leg. I was like, I could just go back to LA and get on a plane. But I was like, I can't really walk. So that's probably not going to happen. Moved to, yeah, moved to Nebraska, was there for two years, a year and a half and before my brother died. And then I was just like a, a ghost, just rolling through life. And then I moved to the Netherlands with my sister. Uh, I was still married at this time. So I think this was my first way of like trying to get away from him. Me and my family walked the Camino in Spain. I don't know if you know yeah. what that is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we did that all together as a family. And then I just stayed with my sister um, who was living there with her husband um, for like another four or five months and then moved back to Australia. He moved back to Australia because I was like, I want to be close to my family. He moved back with me and then maybe he was there for a month or two. And then I think I was just safe and comfortable that I could leave him because I, I do think that if I had left him earlier, like he wouldn't have taken it very well. So this way, like he had to leave. We're in separate countries. All clear. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you've already created that distance between you in many ways. And you've, he's kind of got less power and control over you. You're not, like you said, a support system around you now. And sadly, that's why so many people 
stay in one of the ways that people isolate them. It's so difficult for them to get support. So I'm so glad that you were able to do that with your family and enjoy your life and get that distance for yourself. That's an incredible thing to have done um, after the last few years and the things that you had to go through. But, you know, I'm glad that you got to go back with your family and have that support. Yeah, definitely. Very lucky. And like, I think even just spending the time with my sister, um, I was able to like mentally separate myself from him there. Cause I think that's the hardest part is just to make that initial cut. So then when we were back together, like another blow up happened and I think I was like, I'm done. I'm going to go stay with my parents. Um, yeah. Go home. <laughs> yeah. You've like mentally kind of started to leave anyway by that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So after that had happened, did he just like move back and that was, that was it? That was the end of it? Uh, so he moved back and again, I think it's one of those things where it's just so hard to let go. I don't know, like logically, I don't know why. I think it's just like an emotional thing that you're just not even aware of. Um, so we kept talking. It was like, maybe we'll make it work. Like, we'll see what happens. He said he went to anger management. I don't think that he did. He probably just said he did. Um, and then after a couple of months, I was just like, no, like, that's it. That's it. Um, so we looked up how to get a divorce. Turns out it's really quite easy. You just go, we went to America. We sat down with a lawyer, filled out paperwork. Um, and that was it. So I, I then flew back to America a few months later to do that. And seeing him again there, he, that was interesting. He was like quite nice for most of the time, but on one of the last nights I saw him, we were staying at one of my friend's houses. Oh, I was staying there. He just happened to come there and he like pulled a knife um, on me, but he didn't do anything. He just sort of threatened me. And I was like, yeah, very glad that we were designed that, that paperwork. Yeah. And that's terrifying though. Like seeing somebody with a knife near you, that's such a scary thing. And I guess it just kind of shows maybe he was feeling like he had lost control at that point. And it's yeah. lucky that it didn't escalate further than. Yeah. I think for him, it was like a lot about control. And I'm, I'm just lucky that I was at like a friend's house and there were, my friends were there. Um, they, like no one saw it. I was just in a bedroom separately, but like, I think he knew that he couldn't do anything. Yeah. At least not and get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And what has it been like for you now navigating life and relationships after? So after what you went through in the UK and after this abusive relationship as well? I haven't actually been in a proper relationship since then. I think like, I guess for me, I, I like to, I guess, what's that word where you like do things to make everything wreck? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like self-destruct you know I mean? that's the one I'm looking for thank you <laughs> um, like I'll be seeing someone I'm like they're a really nice person um but then if they're like do you want to like like have a go at this I'm like no thank you and I'll always like specifically sort of see multiple people at the same time with like they know that like I'm not cheating on anyone um but things like that but no like relationships I just that's another thing I like I'm trying to work towards in therapy is to actually be able to like trust someone um I let them in because it's hard and like I can't even put my finger on like like what it is I think there's just a block like no bad things will happen like do you feel like you're actively pushing this away or do you feel like you you're doing these things and then you look back and go huh I'm, I keep doing this behavior I think I look back so I'm not like thinking about it I'm not like oh I'm going to do this intentionally I just do it and then I'm like like what am I doing I completely feel you I mean I've done that before as well 
And I had that experience too, where I've looked back and gone, what did I do that for? Like he was actually being nice to me or he showed interest in me or whatever situation that might be. And you're sitting there just like, that's a bit unfortunate. Like, and it's okay. Cause you're, it's how you feel at the time and you're expressing yourself, but it's also just like, you know, I don't think that you realize sometimes what before I'd had these experiences myself, I'd always kind of thought you were, it was like an active thing that most people were doing, but they're just like, no, 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 I, I, I don't let people in, but it's not that it's like, you're, you just literally don't. And you, you master ways of like, you know, toting around conversations or avoiding parts of things. And then you don't realize you're even doing it. And you look back and you just like, I completely avoided 10 years of my life was kind of seeing someone for a few months of 10 years, just never mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. I think. Yeah. Like you look back and you're just like, I, I, what, what am I doing? Like, I don't like, I don't even see myself doing it. It's like your subconscious takes over. It's like, let's go. And what about you in your regular everyday life now? I mean, outside of dating, what is, what is Brie like now? And how has therapy started to help you as well? So some people, I recently spoke to a friend um, in America just about um, a little bit and like particularly with the uh, DV stuff. And she was like, I honestly had like no idea. You're so happy, like, and positive all the time. And she was there, like, in the middle of it. So I was like, if she, like, saw that, like, that's, I mean, a good thing. And I guess I'm like that. I feel more myself now. I feel more, like, actually ha- happy, I suppose, um, in certain regards. But I think therapy has really helped me, like, actually talk about things more. Like, I've been speaking to my sister about it. I spoke with my best friend about certain things that I hadn't said. So even with the DV stuff, I... People knew a little bit, but no one, like this is the most anyone has ever known. So hello world, you all now know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's helping like me to actually like talk about things and come up with strategies, particularly like we're focusing on like towards moves as opposed to like away moves. Like where do you want to see yourself in the future? Go that way as opposed to this way, like blocking people off, drinking, that sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, so I, I find it has been very helpful. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And I think as well, I don't know if this is your experience or not, um, but I think for me when I started to tell my story or started to speak out at least a little bit, there was some sense of validation because I think in my own mind I had really started to gaslight myself and kind of I thought it wasn't that bad. Did it really happen like that? is it bad enough? Will people care? Like, am I overreacting? Like those were the thoughts that I had in my mind that I was telling myself that I was almost not worthy in some way. Did you have an yeah, experience like absolutely. that as well? Yeah. I think particularly with the sexual assault, I, cause I blocked it out for a bit. I was just sort of like, like, you know, even if, you know, that happened, but other, it's happened to other people way worse. Like the DV stuff, you know, people have had it way worse. I was at least able to like, you know, leave the house and have friends and go to the gym and that sort of stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I definitely, definitely feel that. Yeah. And it's a weird kind of feeling, isn't it? And I think there is that stigma too. Um, and I was speaking to somebody this morning and she, you know, was a victim of domestic abuse herself who was in a doctoral program. So she was, you know, this incredibly intelligent woman kind of thing. And I think we've got that societal belief 
And sadly, we've got that societal belief as well that people who are fit and healthy and who were going to the gym and stuff like that, like they couldn't possibly be in a situation like that because people who tend to be categorised as being in domestic abuse relationships, I think, and this is not my thought, this is what I think society sees it as, are a low, lower socioeconomic status. So I think, you know, even for you to say you've had access to the gym to go out and be fit and do things that you want to do, like I think that's an incredibly important part of the puzzle so that people can listen and go, you know what, I went through shit as well and these are the things that I went through and just because I was allowed or given some agency doesn't mean that I wasn't abused. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, totally agree. I think that like everybody has their story. It doesn't matter like if it's different, like what it looks like. It's all real. It all happened and it all matters. I think that's something that I'm like coming to terms with myself. Like, you know, it wasn't as bad as this or whatever. Like it's, it still matters. And you said, you know, you've got your forward facing and you've got your not limiting facing. Um, what, what does the forward facing kind of stuff look like for you now? Like where do you see yourself headed um, with, with therapy and with your story? Um, I think I just really like to, um, at the moment, just help other people. So I'm in the process of volunteering for Lifeline, which I think will be really rewarding, um, sharing my story so that other people can share theirs, um, helping in any way that I can. Um, in terms of my life moving forward, therapists actually ask that as well. I think all my, like, my sisters just had a baby and my best friends just had a baby. And I'm like, maybe I want a baby. But um, <laughs> I don't know, like... I mean, I can have one by myself easily, but I'd be so tired. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, maybe, maybe I should like find a relationship. I don't know. It would be nice to have a partner like to come home to. Um, like my dog's fantastic, but he can't talk back. Yeah. Which sometimes is a good thing. But yeah, yeah. I think just be healthy enough to <laughs> to to feel comfortable with someone and and the right someone, not just like the trash that I have been drawn towards, but like an actual good person. I love that you said you could have a baby on your own easily because I am a big supporter of this, you know, taking back your agency and going, you know what? I do have the means to do this. I do have the intelligence to do this. I've got support around me to do this. I can do this on my own, you know, and it doesn't have to be missing out on something that you want in life because you don't have something else. And I think that's a really, really wonderful way to look at it because being a mother is not dependent on finding a donor. You know, that's the only thing it's dependent on. It's not dependent on finding the the love of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's fostering, there's adoption, um, and that in itself is helping someone have a better life that may not have. So I think that's great. And like that's such a great outlook. Like you've got something that could be a negative, but you've turned it into a positive. Well, I think that's for all of us, right? You know, I'm I'm getting older and if one more person talks to me about my body clock, I swear to God, I'm going <laughs> to lose my shit. But I'm just, you know, I think you've got to make the most sometimes out of what you've got. And sometimes they throw things at us like this. And I know that this is not what everybody feels. And some people might choose to, you know, go through IVF or have a donor or things like that for a baby. I think that's incredible though. But what I do just support is people having that choice and, not needing a partner or something to make that choice. I just don't think that it's that necessary. If you've got support around you and you can financially do it, then do it if you want to. Like I just, I'm such a big, big supporter of that. I think it's amazing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I love that too. Like, I feel like we're all like, we grew up in this world where you have to get married and have children or like, that's the norm. So I think it's great. Like if you don't want to have children, you do you. If you do want to have children, you do you. If you want to adopt, foster, however it may be. Uh, yeah. I do like that too. But I, but I appreciate that. And I think, you know, it is wonderful to talk about the future and things like that as well, because you know, there is so much life after abuse. And I think so much of being somebody, especially like you, that's gone through so much, you know, and you're such a young person to have gone through so much in your life as well, but to be able to start taking steps to take back your agency and to really start to like, I don't know what the word is, but just more exude happiness and pride and power in yourself. I think that that's incredibly inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's like I blinked and like five, six years of my life went past. I was like a zombie. So it's good to like wake up and and just get to live, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? It shouldn't be that hard. It should be, we should be able to enjoy it. We should be able to enjoy the ride. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing your stories with the um, listeners and I today. I always ask before anyone finishes up as well, what would one piece of advice be that you would give to somebody who is in a situation similar to yours? I guess just show yourself the empathy that you would show to others. Cause I know I personally can like have so much empathy for everybody else. But when I think about like the stuff that's happened to me, I'm just so hard on myself and reach out. Like if you need help, like everything comes in waves and sometimes they seem so ridiculously high. So if you just reach out, you'll find someone to hold on to until the waves get lower again. Um, lots of support services, uh, Lifeline, um, talk to other survivors. Like I'm here if anyone wants to reach out just as you are. Um, support groups, support groups are fantastic. Um, find like-minded people, that sort of thing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for connecting with me. I mean, I've really enjoyed our chats as well. And I want to say thank you as well for doing such amazing work by volunteering, being an SES volunteer and now starting to work for Lifeline. Like you're, you're really doing wonderful things for the community and those are both things that not many people can do. So I think just from as an Australian citizen, <laughs> the bottom of my heart, <laughs> thank you so much for being one of the wonderful people who does things like that because, you know, without people that are doing those things, Um, a lot of things don't happen and the world kind of stops going around around here. And I think that's incredible, especially with what's been happening um, in Australia lately. I think it's, it's an incredible thing that you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It definitely has been needed these last few years, particularly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Bushfires, floods um, and everything in between coronavirus, you're, you're being, must be being pulled in all directions. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely been the busiest. <laughs> well, I will go, I'm going to link the uh, how to contact Brie in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to get in contact with Brie, then please follow that. But for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.
when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.